0: Yes team and uh, welcome back to the podcast and today we are joined by a very special guest, the nutrition king, the absolute nutritionist who is an absolute wizard when it comes to all things food performance. Um, Chris massa, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, how are you today mate?
1: First foremost, absolute pleasure. I'm uh, really, really excited to have a good conversation today and uh, yeah I'm absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah,
0: I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So just for everyone who um, doesn't know you, do you want to give us a a little bit of an introduction? Like who is Chris? What's your background? How did you get into the industry as well?
1: Yeah, so I guess my uh, main work is with uh, elite and sub elite athletes. So I work them from a nutrition perspective to ensure that essentially what they eat, how much they eat and when they eat is very much on point on a daily basis to maximize their performance, recovery, body composition, health, well-being, and so on. So I primarily work entirely online and very much through a wide variety of uh, sports from endurance-based sports, combat sport athletes, uh, power sport athletes, team sports, uh, bit of a bit of a jack of all trades there. Um, and then previously I was with, uh, in pro rugby for best part of like eight to 10 years with uh, Wasp Rugby, and before that, uh, Hull Hulk which is a, a super league rugby league team in Hull. Uh previous to that, did some work with British weightlifting and the development kind of squads when I was studying in university. And then um yeah, before that it was, I guess, studying itself. So I got a master's in sport and exercise nutrition, um, undergrad in sports biomedicine and nutrition. And uh yeah, I guess that's where the story kind of starts if it's a uh, sum it all up.
0: Yeah. Wow, dude, that is uh pretty incredible. So what, what were your sports as you were growing up? Cause obviously it sounds like sports been a, a massive part of your life the whole way through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, mountain biking from, yeah, basically early kind of age, I guess like when you're, when you grew up in rural, right. Rural West Wales, um, it's pretty much right. You, you want to play in rugby off you go. Um, yeah. and then sort of rugby football in kind of the early years and then started doing a lot of mountain biking from say like 11, 12 years old and, pretty much been doing that for the last 20 odd years now so my, my sport is very much endurance-based stuff uh, that's where like my main kind of area of interest lies my, my passion and you know not only do I love like learning about it and applying it with myself but applying it with you know other endurance-based athletes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Chris was literally just helping me uh, just before we got on the uh, call. Obviously, I have the Ironman coming up, uh, giving me some top tips to hopefully so I don't blow up um, halfway through the Ironman. Um, but where, where did this kind of fascina- fascination with nutrition and um, just ultimately performance kind of come from?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, and, it's, and it's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot, kind of like where did this desire get? Like where did it originate, I guess? And I guess it just coming from my own kind of physical deficiencies shall we say never the fittest never the fastest never the strongest never the one with most muscle all that kind of stuff so it's all this kind of desire to be like my peers and basically just perform better whether that's in rugby being small getting pushed around football getting pushed around a little bit more and then going into endurance sports you know am I skillful am I you know can I endure the sport itself so can I go for three four five hour mountain bike ride and like I say not blowouts, not sort of bonk or gas or anything like that so it's that kind of interest there of like how can I get fitter um yes we could do it from a train perspective but then how can i support it from a fuel perspective as well and that's where my you know made it major kind of interest in nutrition came um like my undergrads was kind of again a little bit of a jackfall trades kind of courses like sports biomedicine bi- essentially so did a little bit of uh physiology bit of biochemistry Bit of um, yeah, pharmacology, even bit nutrition, bit psychology is kind of like little bit of everything. So you kind of got exposure mm-hmm. to everything, and nutrition was one I really kind of stood out for me the most in terms of yeah, just learning about it. Seeing like okay, if you have this food in that amount at that time, this is mechanistically what happens, and this is the outcome. If you do that over a long period of time, these are the results you can get. I was like, wow, that that's really cool. What what else is it to know? So that's what kind of piqued my interest, and maybe want to go down that route even more to study at that Uh, master's level and then actually then applying in sort of elite athletes
0: yeah absolutely i think it's incredible that you're actually using your everything you did through university as well um was this always the goal always the ambition to be doing what you're doing today um
1: not not really (laughs) i knew that i liked um sports i knew that i liked nutrition physical development um and then things just kind of just unfolded in front of me and you know i was like okay let's go to university, let's study this. Okay, well, now I'm kind of jackfold trades within, I kind of know a little bit of psychology, a little bit of nutrition, a little bit of S&C, but I don't really know a great deal in one area. So let's then, okay, pick one. And then, okay, right, let's do nutrition, learn about that in more detail. And then it was like, right, got my got my master's, um, academically quite in a good place, but there's there's no jobs out there. Like if you just go on Google, it's just as uh, performance nutritionist jobs, none there. Yeah. So then it's like right, well I need to I need to use this somehow. Then that kind of led me then to start my own consultancy, my own coaching. Where initially I did it online, so I one uh, to one. Then I went on to online, and it just kind of built like this over time. So yeah, I didn't like set out when I was fifteen year old to say I want to be an online nutrition coach. It just just kind of happened, and especially like my roles with uh, rugby as well it's right I knew like coming from Wales love watching rugby like like one of the things I actually love doing Six Nations on now is amazing yeah not necessarily Welsh but um, <laughs> um, and then um, you know it's like right how do I work in rugby how do I get my foot in the door so then start having conversations then I got invited to sort of Hull KR to do like a day's kind of consultancy did well with that they liked what I was doing and then that kind of that role kind of expanded over the course of that year. Then I came a little bit more of a permanent role for four years. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, like wasp Academy, they needed a nutritionist. And then they asked the boys, uh, okay, was Chris like? What's Lozie like? Uh, and then I went down to the Academy and then the first team nutritionist left and I got into that role. So it was kind of like nothing was necessarily planned. It's kind of just turning up, doing the right thing, doing a good job. And these opportunities just naturally kind of present themselves and those doors yeah. naturally kind of open. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, I had like a vague idea what I wanted to do, but the actual route was, you know, I couldn't, couldn't write or plan that, you know?
0: No, I think it's, I think there's so much to learn from that though. The ability to just continue, continuously turn up and put yourself in the right places. I hear so many people there like, oh, I've got this goal. I've got this ambition. I know roughly where I want to go, but they're scared to take that first step. And that might be going to uni and doing a masters. That might be trying to get your foot in the door at Hull. So what what would you say to someone who's maybe got that goal, that got that ambition to pursue a career, but they're maybe worried about that first step?
1: Yeah, like, like for me, like I'm not necessarily ever going to be outcome driven. Like I don't know what the outcome for me is going to be. So I'm not necessarily outcome driven, but I'm very process driven. So I kind of got like my daily kind of habits I need to hit. And I know that if I just apply the daily habits consistently every single day, then something's going to materialize like just say for example for instagram just showing up and just posting content posting results posting whatever reels like that then catches the eye of like one two three kind of people and then you know that just creates those connections like i got yeah. so many connections just this year from like uh working with like um like ladies pro cycling teams and stuff like that like just little things like that it's you know you just keep on showing up and these doors are that you can open so if someone's mm-hmm. kind of scared of like starting and get going just just, just get going <laughs> like yeah, just, um, i know i know <laughs> there's a no secret of, formula no unfortunately not it's and if you fail like you fail like the amount of times i kind of fucked up in my career is is huge like you know but they are my best lessons lessons uh, and learning yeah. so yeah mm-hmm. just don't worry about failing just just crack on and you know you you'll you get there eventually if you just keep on showing up but if yeah, you don't I'm... show up then you're not going to get anywhere and mm, I remember, 100%, 100%. like, in terms of, like um posting social media content, like, ages ago, I used to be a little scared, like, oh, who's going to read this, and if they read it, is it going to be any good, is it going to be some, like, academic going to come along and just, like, actually slate me for stuff, and I was kind of worried about that, a little bit imposter syndrome there, just, like, hesitant on posting, but I remember reading something, like, if I, if I got content, if I got knowledge that I can help someone, and if I don't share it, then ultimately I'm being very, very selfish, so it's like, you no, know, stop being selfish. You've got to almost be the duty to actually share this and help people. So that's where I kind of see it. everything I post now is there to help and support them in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. when I have like that mindset, when I create content, it's just like, right, I'm just trying to help people. If that's, what, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm yeah, not worrying absolutely. about what other people are kind of saying or if they could potentially have something negative t- towards what I'm doing or anything. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't had anything weirdy yeah. um, yet, but I can, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I can know, uh... just just get going, you know. Yeah,
0: I can really relate to that. I had that exact same issue when I first started posting content. I was like, ah, oh, someone's going to come and rip me apart. Maybe my knowledge isn't where it should be. Um, and then someone told me one thing and it was literally just like, can you help your clients? Are you one step ahead of the person you're trying to help? And the answer is yes. Okay. So yeah, sure someone might come and slate you and say, oh, this is wrong, but as long as it's helped someone, that's all I care about. Um, there's an amazing book called The Luck Factor. I don't know if you've ever read it.
1: I'm not ready yet. No, I've heard of it. Hi
0: highly recommended and it goes to say so what you say about just putting yourself like being consistent being process driven putting yourself in the right positions and it talks about how luck isn't a thing i think it's a two-decade experiment and they basically take people who say they're not lucky and people who say they're lucky and the whole premise of the book is that lucky people just put themselves in more positions to be lucky so i, I challenge like anyone listening to this if you just start a conversation with one new person every single day for the next year i guarantee you meet someone maybe you meet a partner maybe you meet someone who can do an introduction to you to for your career maybe you can just so many different things but unless you put yourselves in the positions to be lucky ain't gonna happen so um i think there's so much to take away from that i'd love to dive into just some of the biggest mistakes you see people and obviously i know obviously your kind of primary work is to do with like performance nutrition but a lot of the people listening to this it's going to be body composition it's going to be aesthetics as well so i want to break it down into kind of like weight loss building muscle and performance what would the kind of top one or two mistakes you see in each if we say to say to start with weight loss
1: the biggest one i've actually goes across all of it but perhaps a little bit more biased towards weight loss is tracking accuracy it's absolutely Mm. huge um so generally speaking humans are incredibly good at uh over reporting how much they move and under reporting how much they eat So, you know, those people like, oh, I eat 1,200 calories a day and not losing anything. You're not eating 1,200 calories a day. Like the the maths does not add up. Like it really doesn't. Yes, like we're a little bit different. Like, yes, we have slightly different metabolisms in terms of how they adapt to calorie deficits and all this kind of stuff. But generally speaking, we're not that different. So if the maths doesn't add up, it does not add up. Like you are not broken. It's very much a maths issue. We're just missing something. Either we haven't mm-hmm. um, calculated the actual targets properly, which is kind of unlikely, but perhaps that's the issue. Or perhaps the issue is that you're just not, you know, actually inputting the foods you think you are, especially when you're eating out. It's like, I've seen so many kind of MyFitnessPal entries and stuff when they're going out for like, I don't know, like a roast dinner or whatever. And it's like yeah. 350 calories. It's like, no, it's not. <clears throat> you're not getting anything short of 1500 well, yeah. calorie change. Quant- Quadruple quadru- oh. that
0: at least. <laughs>
1: So it's just, um, yeah, tracking accuracy is the the biggest thing. Like, if I ever have a mm-hmm. client, it doesn't matter whether whether gen pop, you know, um, recreational athlete or elite athlete, if they're not losing like body fat and not getting leaner, and if that if that's a goal, the first thing I look at is right. Let's look at your food diary. Let's see what you actually putting into that app and see if it's adding up. And then what I get them to do as well is right, take a picture of your food as well, and then attach it to that meal cycle I cross reference. And I could say, like, mm-hmm. right, yes, that looks accurate. No, that's roasting it is not 300 calories, you know? So just doing that, it creates that level of, like, awareness. And sometimes people just forget to put things in. I always use the example of I work with um a boxer before, and he'd ha- always have, like, a cup. He had, like, sort of four or five cups of teas a day. He's like, is a cup of tea, bad? It's like, you know, it's like, no, it's like, well, maybe, like, 20, 30 calories, put a little bit of milk in, so that's cool. But he's having a biscuit every single time he had, had a cup of tea, and it wasn't registering that. It's like, okay, now we're pretty much 800 calories over our calorie target. So you've gone from a deficit to maintenance. That's why we're not losing. So you might be doing the plan in terms of uh, the periodized approach, the meal timings, everything absolutely bang on. But the small detail is moving in from a deficit to maintenance, and that's affecting his overall progress. So it's the the smaller details where the tracking accuracy is is really important. So if you do have a fat loss goal and you're not making progress. That is the first protocol. Am I actually tracking what I'm eating accurately? And am I tracking the foods that I'm not eating as well? Mm-hmm. So that is absolutely key. And then looking at the level of expenditure as well. If they're training, are they actually training hard? And in terms of the movements outside, we know how important steps is just daily movements, the neat, let's just make sure that is stayed nice and high. They're the, yeah. they're the kind of things that I would very much look at from like a, mm-hmm. a phallus perspective. Mm-hmm about tracking accuracy you've probably seen it so many times like yep it's <laughs> yeah. mind-blowing how um inaccurate some some are and research backs us up massively as well Um, yeah. across all kind of age groups backgrounds everything generally speaking people are terrible at tracking their food so when i yeah. whenever i start work with a new new athlete first thing i make sure we just get absolutely solid and locked in before we even think about all the finer details with like periodization meal timing it's like <laughs> this sounds quite blunt but can you enter your food into an app correctly can you follow a plan yeah. um, diligently right great let's just focus on getting nutritional plan score like nine ten out of ten really locked in and tight and then we can add the layers in or on top of that you know yeah
0: 100% I absolutely love that it's about kind of making sure you can walk before you want to run but I think uh, the biggest thing that I picked up and I know I've seen with our clients is actually people who essentially kind of are eating almost unconsciously so they think they're tracking super accurately like you alluded to with that guy with the biscuit they're not actually registering um that they're having that biscuit so they forget to track it um what would you say to someone about how how would you bring awareness to potentially some of these unconscious little nibbles here and there
1: yeah i, I think just um yeah i'm just highlighting it i think is the, the first thing it's like right I always put myself in their kind of in their shoes, like, oh, sometimes I forget to do this. I might have like a, a flat weight is 150 calories. I might end up going out on the bike and stop for coffee halfway around and getting a, a flapjack or something like that. I sometimes I forget to put that in. And it's like, oh, do you, does this potentially happen to you? And like, oh, yeah, maybe this, this, this. And then it just starts jogging the memory. So all we're trying to do is just increase awareness uh, over it. And then when you have the awareness of it, they'll start picking things up. A little bit over time. Then, as the role as the coach, just make sure, like, they're honest in terms of just, uh just prompting them to ask themselves better questions. Am I tracking accurately? Have I missed anything today? And over time, they'll they'll kind of they kind of get it, you know. And yeah, I think that's that's a really powerful one. If they're really struggling with the tracking, if they just don't like using phones for like an apps all the time, if they're just really busy and they just want to get away from their phone, a quick one is just take a picture of the meal, send it across. Everything you eat, set, take a picture, send it across. And then we can get a better understanding of like, what's the meal composition like? And you can help them from, from that side of things with yeah. like just awareness of what's in what. Uh, yeah, like, from a scratch, scratch in some things. way, shape or form, it, it is absolutely key. Because yeah, like I said, some people are, well, most people who haven't actually looked into nutrition before, they're so, they're perhaps just a little bit of kind of vacant with it. Like they're not really like fully immersed into it. Um, and, you know, they don't think of food, nutrition the same way as we do. And it's just kind of like our breakfast, lunch, dinner. And it's almost like a thing they have to do instead of mm-hmm. uh, like, okay, these things here, these components of your plan are really going to accelerate your progress or, re- or cause regression. So it's just, again, yeah. just always make them aware of you know what foods are eating, how much are eating. And then if you're an elite, if you're an athlete, when are you eating them?
0: Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think, I don't know if you'd agree for this. For me, the biggest things that um, always stand out with clients are liquid calories Sources, yeah um and probably just not actually weighing food okay some people starting to guesstimate or little nibbles whilst you're cooking dinner that i would say those are the kind of most common ones that stand out to me would there be any others that you'd add in there
1: yeah just on that one the hidden calories when you're eating out is absolutely huge um yeah, it is huge like what i you do with any kind of meal when eaten out um, or if that is like heavy with sources, first of all, I recommend like, if you can't, don't have the sauce, or have the sauce on the side and then you can portion it. But if they do have to have everything mixed in together, then it's like play the 150% rule. Whatever you think it is, whatever you estimate that meal as times by 1.5, that's probably going to be a more realistic um, mm-hmm. amount of you actually consume in terms of calories. Mm-hmm. What's your... Um, so, what's
0: your- What's your opinion on um, all the restaurants now having calories on the menus and things?
1: I like it. Um, again, that's it just increases awareness. And then you have then a an informed choice and a decision whether you want to have it or not. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, Some people might say like a burger on a 1,500 calories. Okay, it's now informally that has 1,500 calories. So it's just like on a food label, on like a pack of crisps. It's like, that's fine. Like there's no kind of issues with that. But then as soon as you put that label on a restaurant, then, you know, people are losing their shit about it. And for me, like, I don't, I don't really, I understand, but at the same time, I can't see the difference between having a food label on, yeah, biscuits, cookies, whatever, and then on a restaurant menu. It's it's letting you have that information and making an educated choice of whether you want to have that or not.
0: Yeah, 100%, I couldn't agree more. It's giving people the, it's empowering people to make their own decisions. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, I absolutely love that, mate. Some gold there. Um, How about when it comes to obviously I know tracking actually across the board. What would be one of the other mistakes you see people, if someone was wanting to build muscle, grow some tissue?
1: Um, just a, a kind of on one point in there as well is um, worth sort of like highlighting is eating environment is huge. Mm. Um, You know, like
0: I'm guilty. <laughs> I, of this I one. think
1: my I think my eating <laughs> environment at home is is pretty good. Like if you come to my house. Open my fridge, open my cupboards. They're going to be kind of goal-enhancing foods, naturally and minimally processed, and stuff like that. The worst thing you're going to find there is like a cereal bar that I use on the bike, the old Rice Krispies grainer. You know? um, oh yeah. So yeah. that's probably We're the worst to- thing. I, yeah, that's probably the worst thing I'm going to have there. But if I go into say one of my clients' kind of houses when they first start working with me, they're like, you look open their fridge and it might be literally everything under the sun in there it's like, wow, that's going to be so difficult to say no to. Like, that's a big kind of barrier that we need to work through for here. Because, you know, there's only so many times you can say no before that turns into a yes. You know, that visual cue of that food is going to increase that desire to eat it. And every time you see it, that's going to strength, like, you know, just get stronger and stronger. Where if it's not in the environment, you don't have that visual cue, you're less likely to go and have it. Because when we say stress eat or emotionally eat, it's done you know, kind of with thought is, um, you know, it's like a subconscious kind of decision to kind of go and ju- just kind of grab it as impulsive. And then we yeah. kind of have it and like, Oh, well, I probably didn't really need that. But if you're kind of stressed yeah. or emotion or emotion and you want to go and get something and it's not in the house, you're far less likely to to have it, you know? So, yeah. and you know, like the more, it's... the more we kind of, I don't want to say give into that, but the more kind of times we consume that food in response to that kind of stimulus, is just going to strengthen it every single time. It's like, okay, I'm stressed. I know this food, this high fat, high sugar, hyperpalatable food, is going to have a calming effect. So I'm going to have that, and then I'm going to feel better. Mm-hmm. And every time you do that, you get that that strengthens. You get food reward, and it gets get stronger and stronger. You just condition that habit. So to kind of decondition that habit, you just don't have those foods there, and then over time, through repetition, you build a habit and it deconditions it.
0: Yeah, and then I can really I can
1: really relate that to way. that
0: one. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a goal. It's such an easy, an easy actionable step for people. If you're in a fat loss phase or you want to tighten up on nutrition, just remove the stuff that doesn't support your goals um, yeah. out of the house or, at, or even at minimum, just make sure it's out of sight or somewhere that you don't go on a regular basis. I know I can really relate to this. My nutrition personally massively improved when I moved out from home because my parents would have other foods in the house that weren't necessarily optimal for what I was wanting to work towards and either seeing them have it or opening the cupboard and it being there. And I wasn't going to be like, mom, stop buying this. I don't want you to eat that anymore either. But yeah, it, yeah I know it's a massive, massive change there. So I, I love that. And like I said, I think it's such a, an easy actionable step for people to be able to actually implement as well. So um, yeah. what about building muscle? This one fascinates me. I've got a really strong belief mm-hmm. around uh, one thing when it comes, but I'll let you go first.
1: So when it comes to build muscle, I guess th- there's three kind of core drivers. There's weight training stimulus, which is the most important thing. Then mm-hmm. you've got your calorie intake and protein intake, which will then amplify that kind of response. Um, so I guess with a lot of individuals that I may sort of work with who want to build muscle, their training program is just not very good. So it's not creating that stimulus to cause that, that heightened level of adaptation, whether that's because you know, they have to have lower kind of training loads because they need to be fresh for the sport specific stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're squatting heavy or deadlifting heavy, and then you've got like a five hour bike ride, you got, you know, you got a race on the weekend. It's just not really going to work. So the timing of, um, or the periodization of like weight training and hypertrophy work for the course of the year is absolutely key. But ultimately you need that big, robust weight training stimulus to drive muscle growth. And then having adequate calories on board and then high levels of protein, every single meal distributed throughout the course of the day. That's when you're going to start seeing good results. So I guess like one of the issues I may see then is, yeah, like I said, just not a robust enough kind of weight training stimulus. Um, and therefore they're not going to get that adaptive response. And it doesn't matter how good your protein intake is, how periodized your nutrition plan is. If you've got, you know, that's the, your nutrition is there to amplify the work you do in the gym. And if you're not doing anything in the gym, that's kind of not like, um, shall we say s- significant enough, then we've got nothing to amplify. And that's where I've had issues in the past when I started working with athletes and I said like, oh yes, we want we to build muscle and put weight on roughly 0.5 1% body mass per month. Then we have a nice kind of increase and it all sounds mm-hmm. great, but not kind of managing expectations like, oh, you actually need to have a good weight training program that you need to sort out. And if you don't have that, you're not going to get the true value from the nutrition. So weight mm. training stimulus is absolutely key. I love to be super biased and say nutrition solves the world with, with muscle growth, but if your weight training stimulus isn't there, yeah, you're not going to get far at, at all.
0: Yeah, you can you can lose body fat without training, but you can't build muscle without training.
1: Yeah, 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 it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it has um, to be there.
0: I'd be really interested in your take on this. I've actually got, I'm really against but quote unquote bulking. I hate the word bulking anyway, because I think so many people take it to black and white. It's either 90% of the people, it's like the seafood diet, seafood eater. I've got to be in this massive calorie surplus. Like I know what I like to do myself and I like to preach it to our clients. It's essentially, essentially after you run a dieting phase, we bring back up to baseline. Basically we just set a weight range and we're like, let's just maintain here. And we use performance as the kind of now metric of success. And if you're not performing or you're not progressing in terms of strength, then like now we'll move food up very slightly after looking at sleep recovery, training volume. Um, I'd love to know your opinion on that and what you think of the whole bulking culture.
1: Yeah, so I've done some pretty incredible bulks in my time. Me too, (laughs) me too. They are, yeah, some uh, pretty epic kind of feeds, but ultimately very terrible advice. Um, The whole kind of, I remember I was talking to Kirk Miller about this the other day, about one of my kind of post-training feeds. I literally finished the gym. It was um, a pint of milk, whole milk, obviously. And that's quick in it. Great. And then for added calories, you put olive oil on top and then just whisk it in and kind of drink at the same time so the olive oil doesn't sit on top. And then alongside that, either a pack of pancakes or a whole brick of malt loaf, of serene malt loaf. That was, a, that was like a post-training feed every single day alongside like your 1,000-calorie meals and stuff. And uh, I did get strong. I did the muscle, but I got very, very fat at the same time. Um, and then it's like, if you think of like, not only was that going to be pretty terrible for health because body fat did accumulate pretty high, um, but then I had to spend like the next year just getting all that off. So in terms of like muscle growth efficiency, if you're then doing a crazy bulk and you need to spend the next six to 12 months getting it back off, it's like that six to 12 months is kind of wasted where you could have been just, you know, doing a little bit slowly, a bit more gradually and build the muscle at the same rate. Because once you've got adequate calories on board, super high calories does not accelerate progress. Not at all. You mm-hmm. just, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's just an excess. You're going to store this body fat. So you may, yeah, you may think like, oh yeah, the weight's going up on the scales, T-shirts fitting better. But most likely it's just through increased kind of body fat stores. And from like yeah. an athletic perspective, that's going to make you slower, less agile repeatability is going to go down efficiency is going to go down and you're going to be worse at your sport unless you're like a sumo wrestler so so yeah i completely agree with you. like super high calorie diets they're yeah they're not they're not, they're not needed mm-hmm. uh, at all mm-hmm. we know that you can build muscle and calorie deficit for sure but um you know the weight training stimulus has to be very very robust and protein intake has to be pretty high um so you can do that even in like uh, the trained individual it'd be pretty slow but you still can but as you move up towards maintenance or if not like a small calorie surplus we have enough energy available then you can maximize muscle growth so being in like a small energy surplus is is absolutely cool uh, you might put on a tiny little bit of body fat but it just means that you're just not eating in a deficit which could potentially be rate limiting for muscle growth mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah so once you're in that slight surplus that's gonna be enough calories on board so putting in a thousand calories on top of that is, is meaningless. There's no point. Um, yes, yes, it's great. It's kind of like you almost have like this self licensing thing. It's like oh, you can justify you own bullshit for eating ice cream and pizzas and all this kind of stuff because I'm Balkan. But realistically, like it is unneeded. And this is where sometimes the discipline is even harder with kind of a so say a quote unquote Balkan approach because you have to override that self licensing. Like, okay, yes, you need more food, but you don't need to have a huge amount of food because again, body fat is just going to accumulate where if, you know, you take this slow gradual approach, maybe a couple hundred calorie kind of surplus, you know, you can stay in that tiny surplus for years on end and not really put on that much body fat. And then if you think of approach one of like a six month bulk followed by a six month kind of cut or just two years straight of slow kind of gaining, who's going to have more muscle at the end of it. Number mm-hmm. two, hundred percent. So I,
0: I think also yes. most people don't know how to actually effectively run a dieting phase and they actually end up dieting away half the muscle that they put on in the six yes. month bulk anyway. So they just end up going through this six months of almost force feeding themselves and then six months of killing themselves, dieting wrong, just to be exactly where they were right at the start of
1: it. A hundred percent, mate, hundred percent. And what they'll do as well in, with their training as well, they change it completely and they stop training hard. They'll, yes, they'll do cardio and stuff, but then they'll go lightweight and pump where effectively you haven't got that same stimulus. So if you ask me what's the best way to lose muscle, reduce your weight training stimulus significantly or don't train at all, go on a low protein diet and go on a low calorie diet. So what they'll do is they're definitely going on a low calorie diet. They'll probably keep protein high, but then they'll reduce their training stimulus massively. So you've almost got like two out of three perfect scenario to lose muscle. And then like I said, you spent ages like super bulking to put muscle on, and then you're gonna lose most of it just by like just dieting poorly and training poorly. Yeah where if you do things methodically up and down, then you're going to have a far better physique at the end of it.
0: Yeah. And just dieting sucks. Okay. okay. Let's just yeah. sit in maintenance, enjoy ourselves. It's, it's like, it's easy to say now, cause I've done those dreamer bulks. So I found myself, a lot higher body fat than I'd want to. Found myself uncomfortable, and it's easy to say now, but I just hope someone can listen to this and take the advice from both of us and realize that it doesn't have to be that way. Don't do it to yourself, uh, please. Um, yeah, how about yeah. from, uh, from a performance perspective? What's the biggest mistake you see athletes make?
1: Carbohydrates. Scared of them. Still, mm. still. <laughs> so yeah. I started to think like my content, whether it's on social media or whatever it is. I talk about carbohydrates all the time. Think like, ours, oh, I'm again repetitive. i again, they, the, they probably get the picture by now, but they don't. They're still cutting the carbohydrates and this scared scale that is going to cause body fat gain and all this kind of stuff. Where you know, carbohydrates are essential to perform anything medium time high intensity based. So, without that, like your performance is going to suffer and struggle greatly. So, carbohydrates are absolutely essential w- with this. We know that. If you're under like high carbohydrate variability, so where the muscle is full of carbohydrates, then you can have very good performance. And then you can have repeatability throughout that performance as well. So if you're, say, a rugby player, so can you perform at the same intensity in the final kind of 10 minutes as you can do in the first 10 minutes? So if you could do that, then the tanks are full, you've got enough carbohydrates on board where people kind of fade and bonk. Sometimes it looks like, oh, they haven't got match fitness. They're not fit enough. They have to do more training. In fact, like they just haven't got enough carbohydrate in the muscle. It's like mm-hmm. literally within one day, just put on someone on like a high carbohydrate diet, you can fix their performance completely. And like, oh, right. I probably don't need to do those extra 10 hours of work in the gym <laughs> or on the bike this week. I've just solved I've probably, my issue. I've right, probably, food.
0: yeah, I've probably been beasted after uh, rugby matches for that pure reason thinking if i'd just eaten some more carbs at the time i wouldn't be getting beasted now so yeah Yeah, i absolutely love
1: that Uh, and what what we'll talk about briefly just before um we jumped on here like in terms of fueling sort of longer kind of events you know if they like and there's kind of fear again of putting eating sugar or consuming high amounts of sugar doing it's like oh i'll just put body fat on Where you know if if you just do the maths like if you're pushing out a decent intensity like 800 calories per hour and you're putting 100 grams of sugar per hour which is really good kind of recommendations for fueling if your gut can handle it. That's only 400 calories. You're still in the 400 calorie deficit on an hourly basis, so you're only going to gain body fat if it's in a surplus. So, you know, like sugar is absolutely fine to consume in very high quantities during like hard, intense exercise for a number of hours. No, for your 45 minute gym session, you don't really need it. Um, but for like this kind of big endurance and ultra endurance stuff, yeah, like it is absolutely, absolutely essential um What's otherwise otherwise it's actually unhealthy if you don't consume enough carbohydrates if you don't consume the sugar drink because you're just going to dig yeah. yourself in the hole your immune system is going to be compromised and um ultimately you're more vulnerable to getting ill and there your eating mm-hmm. habits off the back of it are going to be terrible as well because you're in such a hole you need to refeed massively just to recover and you know ultimately you're just in this like really poor kind of state poor habits poor performance poor recovery and you just feel like you're just not getting anywhere to spin any wheels.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think do, doing that also just makes the the training session, the task, the outcome so much harder. So then yeah. your ability to stay consistent at the the sport, the training, whatever it might be, is so much harder. Like I think everything we want to do is to make it as easy as possible to stay consistent so that you can get the outcome that you want to achieve. Um, At, at what point uh, for an endurance event would you say, you start recommending for people to be taking on like intra. So
1: yeah. So the, the general workout. kind of guidelines are for like endurance um, guys, if it's been uh, zero to one hours, you just need fluid. You don't necessarily need enough. You don't really need any carbohydrates because you can have enough in the muscle itself and in the liver to get through that
0: mm-hmm. anywhere
1: between one to two hours, generally speaking, 30 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So hour one, 30 grams, hour two, 30 grams, anywhere between uh, zero to, to oh, sorry two to three hours then it's 60 grams per hour anything three plus 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour that's what we typically recommend mm-hmm. i typically can push some athletes who have a very trained gut to tolerate high carbs to about 120 grams plus of carbs per hour um and even within those guidelines like if the sessions are very very intense then you could shift those guidelines over a little bit so where you'd have 90 grams of carbohydrates power for everything three hours plus if it's a super hard two to three hours you use that instead of the 60 grams so you could kind of just Mm -hmm. shift the recommendations over a little bit um Mm -hmm. but generally speaking under under an hour don't really need to but then as we start increasing hours that's where we need to start putting in a bit more carbohydrates if you don't Mm -hmm. then you're just going to dig yourself into a hole you can very overly depleted performance is going to suck so performance is going to drop off significantly when the muscle is just depleted by just 50% of carbohydrates. Once you hit that 50% level of depletion, on average, some people, they're a bit above, some people, they bit below, but on average by 50% depletion, the muscles contractability becomes impaired and it can't produce the same amount of force. So if you're on a run, if you're on a bike ride or whatever you're doing and you start strong and then you just massively just fall off a cliff, that most likely is not attributed to fitness that is attributed to too low carbohydrate availability <clears throat> either tank is now below 50% level of depletion or 50% full should we say yeah so then a when when quick fix th- yeah you just eat more yeah. carbohydrates
0: yeah if you do go off that clip that 50% how, what would your strategy be and how quickly can you see it come back around if you're like, in a lot, so let's say I'm on a, a six hour ride, three hours in, I start to feel that, what would your strategy be? And how quickly could that start to tip up? Or once you get there, is it a slippery slope?
1: Great question. I don't know. I don't really know how quickly you can get back to baseline. Uh, that's going to be a pretty hard one to say, but what I'd say is that prevention is always the best cure. So having that proactive fueling strategy so you don't dig yourself into a hole is going to be key. And when I work with a lot of cyclists and endurance athletes, They'll typically start to start fueling maybe 45, 60 minutes in. It's like, okay, by 60 minutes in, 45 minutes in, let's start having some gels and some drinks. It's like, no, no, you start literally in the first 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. So then you're just trying to offset that level of depletion. Never going to meet the body's demands directly. It's not going to be like a a one to one type ratio, but you need to start putting in carbohydrates pretty quickly. So then you don't dig yourself that hole and you don't have to play catch up. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, if you are going gold. for
1: 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour, you know, you're putting in like just chunks of 20 grams of carbohydrates every 10, 15 minutes, or however the maths add up. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you're just trying to drip feed it uh, throughout instead of getting to 60 minutes. Like, oh, maybe I need to start putting some fuel in or oh, I'm starting to yeah. get a little bit tired. Let's have an energy gel. It's like, no, no, no. You start straight away. Be proactive with it.
0: Yeah, 100 percent That's absolute gold. Um, I know I I the the endurance training's been a massive learning curve of mine. And just to add to that, the the speed of my recovery, if I keep my stores topped up throughout the session, is like it's actually blown my mind like i definitely was getting better through it when i did the marathon but now we're moving into iman prep um my training volume is the highest it's ever been so it's my carbohydrate intake and i probably feel the best the most recovered and my performance is the most consistent because of it so i can vouch for what you're saying as well yeah um,
1: so, so it's not only just repeatability throughout the course of session but throughout the course of the week mm. so you might see like uh, many cyclists or endurance athletes that so start really strong on the uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday type thing and then they slowly fade throughout the course of the week and then get to the weekend, the biggest session, doing a massive haul at the end of it. Then you have these massive kind of unplanned eating episodes like binges and stuff like that to recover and then they're back to baseline for Monday and that cycle starts again. But, you know, if you fuel day one really well and you recover from day one really well, then you start on a baseline again on day two and then you, you don't you know, accumulate that level of depletion and fatigue throughout the course of the week. So I always Mm -hmm. say like, your fueling is your recovery, your recovery is your fueling. So the better you can feel going into the session and during the session, you know, the recovery burden and urgency isn't that high and you can get back to baseline really, really easily. Where if you kind of get super depleted, empty the tanks, minus a hard work to get back up to baseline, ready for the next day. Mm hundred
0: percent and then allows you allows you to work out more often harder and allows you to achieve the the goals and outcomes that you're wanting to much much faster and life is a
1: lot nicer as well (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) rather than lying on the sofa thinking why am I doing this to myself Um, I know I've definitely been there at points obviously you've worked with um a lot of pretty successful athletes um through your time from professional rugby players to track cyclists uh, everything um if you were to kind of dispose things down into I, I always love picking the minds of really successful people. what are some of the kind of character traits you've seen of those people?
1: They are very very consistent in terms of what they do they they just show up all the time and then they just they do what they need to do essentially like excuses just don't really get in the way that they, they, they just get it done. It's like say I've worked with say survey uh, high level kind of track athletes and stuff. And they have like a very progressive career as well. They own businesses. So they like have this huge kind of life kind of stress and work stress. And then they have the training stress. They have all the nutrition planning, the lifestyle planning. And you almost feel like, oh, shall I kind of suggest them to do this, this, and this, because they got so much on. And they're like, don't worry about it. It gets done. They, it just, it's just planned in. Like it's, not, it's a non-negotiable. It just gets done. So whether they feel like doing it, they don't feel like doing it, it doesn't matter. It just gets done. They almost like just remove the emotion. Out of it ever so slightly, and then it's just like, right, it just becomes a new norm. And because they do it so consistently, it conditions into a habit, and the habit then is the new norm. So, it's yeah. if they have like a good day, a shit day, it doesn't matter, it, it just gets done. So, yes, like you think about, I'm really kind of disciplined and stuff, but it's more the fact that their habits are just so strong that it just they just do it, it's just second nature, they don't know, mm-hmm. they don't really know anything different. It's like, if yeah. they then get ill or injured, it's not like, oh, they don't bury their heads in the sand. They don't then just go into the cupboards and eat loads of ice cream. It's okay. It's just a new challenge. Kind, I've got that baseline, I can have habits in place. I what just kind of control. I control? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they control yeah. what they can control.
0: Motivation gets you going. Discipline keeps you going. But then that creates habits and then it just becomes easy. Um, yeah, I always speak speak, speak speak, to clients. Um, like The goal is to make your training, nutrition, lifestyle ultimately as easy as brushing your teeth. Because if it was as easy as brushing your teeth, guess what? You'd stay in pretty damn freaking good shape all year round and you'd feel fucking amazing about yourself. Um, if you, I love, the, I don't know if you've read the book, The One Thing. Um, I'm, always, I'm always big on one thing. What's the one piece of advice you would give someone just on nutrition as a whole? In I put Chris on the spot to, with all of
1: these. <laughs> <laughs> to make it easier. So if we we'll
0: think go, gym, of, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go gem pop. We'll go gem pops so are like most of my lessons are going to be gem pop. They're already in the gym. They probably want to be a little bit leaner. Okay. But they're also excited to push their performance as well.
1: I, I know we kind of covered this, but it's such, it is the biggest pitfall, but just make sure you learn to track your food accurately, see it as an educational process. Don't see it as like a burden, like, Oh, I need to track my food again. Simon's not going to, need to track my food again. See it as, I see it as a learning opportunity. It's like, right, I'm going to weigh out my food. I'm going to know how much 100 grams of rice is, what 200 grams of chicken breast is, or whatever it is. Just invest that time into it. And then over time, that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Where If you don't invest that time initially, you're always up against it until you start doing it. So kind of just like invest that time into it in the first kind of four weeks, really track everything accurately, weigh everything out, just become very diligent in everything. And then you'll find that, then that will generate a lot of good great great results and give you the platform to build on. Where, you know, like you kind of uh, mentioned when, you know, you might have a new client, they don't weigh their food and they're kind of estimating, guesstimating. It's like, you know, they could be massively off and therefore they don't get that initial kind of return or results that they kind of bought into. And then that affects compliance, like oh, this program doesn't work or whatever. Where it's just like, right, really just kind of invest your time and see as an education process, really focus on learning it. And then the rest of it's just easy. And like you said, then it's just like your new norms, just like brushing your teeth. It's something you do every day. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Across the board, like th- that is my that's my biggest thing. And it will solve so many problems. It doesn't matter who you are, what sport you are, what level you're at like invest the time in this and you'll find it fixes 90 percent of stuff going forward and then if you do hit a trouble um like a roadblock need to troubleshoot it's just fine-tuning what you're already doing instead of like a complete overhaul and starting from scratch and building back up you know so don't waste your time just get in day one you know sink your teeth into it and just track and wait and just get everything locked in so yeah it's an educational process
0: Yeah. I'm going to clip that bit and I'm going to send it to every single client that comes in my door now. (laughs) Um, No, I think, I think it's so true. Um, I think knowledge is power. And if you can actually have the knowledge around nutrition and the nutritional value of the food, it then empowers you to actually make better decisions. Okay. When everyone comes to us, I think they're lacking in one of two areas. They either don't have the knowledge to make the right decision or they don't make the right decision, but getting accurate with that tracking initially is the foundation for everything. So um, I absolutely love that. I like to ask everyone this question: If you could go to dinner with three people, dead or dead or alive, who would it be?
1: <laughs>
0: I'm putting you on the spot with all of these, aren't I?
1: Oh, dead or alive. I'd love to go to dinner with Brendan Burchard. Uh, High performance mm. habits. Um, absolutely fascinated with the work he does. Love his books uh james clear the amount of gold he turns out in terms of atomic habits and habits right. basically just kind of um high performance based stuff and then i'm going to throw in one as well just because of the absolute hilarity of memes he throws out as uh, editor, is Roddy coleman i don't know if you come across yeah. that <laughs> stuff. just absolutely hilarious i just want to go just shake his hand and say thank you for being absolutely hilarious and for enjoying my life uh, by 20 yeah. years later on so <laughs> <laughs> that would
0: be that would be a very interesting table i want to see <laughs> i want to see those, those three have a conversation over a good steak um that'd be gold honestly mate um i can't thank you enough for coming on today there's been some absolute golden nuggets and i know i've learned a lot as well so i really appreciate your time i know you're a very, very busy man um do you just want to let everyone know um where they can find you obviously i'll pop the your links in the description as well but you just want to let everyone know
1: no, first of all, uh yeah, amazing to be on. Great conversation and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, best place to find me, Instagram, uh, Athlete Nutrition Coach or Chris Lone Nutrition. Uh, I'll pop up somewhere uh, in some way, shape or form if you search one of those two things. And uh, yeah, any questions, queries, anything that I can help you with or further kind of explore or clarify, just, just drop me a DM. Amazing.
0: Thank you very much, mate. See you in the next one, guys. Bye-bye.